0: Hiya, how are we doing? Great to have you with us. Thanks for lending us your time, your ears, your attention. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast. It's the Monday pod with me, Ali Maxwell, with me, George Ellick. We are sponsored by Betfair. Huge thank you to them for their continued support heading into their second season as exclusive sponsors of the Not The Top 20 podcast. George and I will be talking through what was George and we find every weekend entertaining and interesting Certainly the best weekend of the season so far, I would suggest in the EFL. Plenty of exciting things to talk about today.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, a, a weekend where, um, apart from uh, a couple of, that they were kind of more down the form line, uh, a few teams who we'd maybe not written off, but had been pretty concerned about after the first couple of weeks, put in much improved performances. A couple of teams that maybe we were quite excited about throwing in a pretty poor performance. So it kind of felt like things... Um, we're shaken up a bit, which is what you can expect. It just goes to show that after two games, making any sweeping statements about teams' strength and weaknesses can prove to be um, a little bit premature. Um, but it means that we've got loads of talking points today, including one of the, um, I think, one of the best moments in the EFL, probably since we've been doing the podcast,
0: I would say, um, in the Championship, which I'm, well, I'm sure we'll get onto in just a second. Uh, do you think that might be my good cop selection for this week's pod in the Championship? I think... In the championship this week, I think we have to rename good cop, bad cop.
1: Good keeper, bad keeper. (laughs) Because I think we both know what each other's selection is
0: going to be. We had a goalie goal. We had a goalie goal. There is nothing better than a goalie goal. Wow. Sunderland 2, QPR 2. Sunderland flying out the traps at the Stadium of Light. Sims and Stewart, too hot to handle for the second weekend in a row.
1: Before good cop, bad cop or good keeper, bad keeper we had just left this, mate. Too old. We wouldn't have talked about it.
0: Just I know. Move on. Well, that's the beauty of the new feature. We've got to talk about this, mate. QPR coming back from from nowhere, really, seemingly. The first hour, Sunderland, 2 up and good for it. But a big Ilias chair free kick. And what a beauty that was from the edge of the box, over the wall, into the top corner. Patterson with a hand to it, but not enough. Set up the grand finale. Seni Dieng. QPR's goalkeeper, Senegalese, international, African Cup of Nations winner, albeit not his first choice, of course. Uh, he trots up into the box. The corner is aimed at Dieng, at the near post. But the defender gets there in front of him, headed up. The goalkeeper comes out. Dieng's there to challenge again. Patterson gets his arm up, punches it away, straight back out to the magician Big Elias Chair, who dips inside an in-swinging cross And Dieng leaps higher than anyone, flicks a header, looping into the far corner, over and away from Patterson, QPR equalising right at the death. And Dieng's reaction and that of his teammates was just perfect, wasn't it? Sort of didn't really know what to do, absolutely no idea how to celebrate. And then everyone just kind of laughing, basically. (laughs) um brilliant guided header after his yeah of what what was his third aerial challenge in about 20 seconds which i really agreed um it was an amazing moment and uh, i was at one of my best friends weddings this weekend shout out milo wonderful day for a wonderful man and a fabulous bride as well i was not across the scores uh, between 3 and 5 but around 5 pm me and a couple of the lads just found a quiet spot a quiet spot, a cold beer, check the scores. And normally when you say to someone, please can you tell me 36 scores from the EFL, then they're <laughs> not that keen. But thankfully I found a willing participant. And as we went through, there was just a great moment where he went, QPR, two down, came back and drew 2-2. Two, two. And I went, oh my goodness, unbelievable. And he went, Dieng. And I went, what? And he went, Dieng? And I went, "That? yeah, that's the goalkeeper. And he <laughs> went, he scored, mate. 96th minute, Bedlam. Bedlam in the marquee, Bedlam in the championship. The best part of this, George, is it's not his first goal. He scored for Whitehawk against Chippenham when he was on loan there a couple of years ago. Second goal for Dieng in his career. The best goalkeeper goal in the EFL since Barry Roche for Morecambe against Portsmouth in 2016. You can keep your long punts downfield that catch the wind and go in. I'm having headers from set pieces or from second phases. Senny Dieng's header for QPR against Sunderland. With apologies to the Sunderland fans who will be feeling sick about this. certainly the moment of the weekend. And made an unbelievable double save at the end as well. Unbelievable. How was their like, time? I don't know, but I loved it. Yeah, an amazing
1: save. Um, and, and that was kind of in my if I was Seni Dieng at that stage, like a minute after scoring a, a, a last minute equaliser. And as you say, the header itself—it's one of those headers that I kind of only imagine professional footballers can do, where you like hang in the air and just about getting a purchase on it to send it. Um, you know, direct it well and get enough power on it to beat the keeper. Yeah, it was a goalkeeper doing it. Hard to imagine he's but, practiced many headers like that. Well, that's what they were all saying afterwards in the interviews. Um, it's, it's the first thing that um, that Mick Beale apparently turned around to his coaching staff and said, and said, "Is he is he even practicing those? Because that's such a good header." Um, it was, but the amount of adrenaline that must have been going through his body, and to, so therefore to have like the poise and then the reactions to make the double save was just phenomenal, and. What a lovely interview afterwards! Just seems like a a really great guy. You could tell that he was absolutely buzzing off the back of it as well. Um, an amazing moment, and you know for uh, for QPR, it, it's a it's a big point as you say for Sunderland. They'll be frustrated that. You know, not only were they the better team for the majority of the game, but they've ended up not only conceding two late goals, but conceding in, in the worst way possible for them. Um, but uh, yeah, an amazing moment. And as I say, I think it not only is it a moment of the season so far, but I think it's genuinely one of the best moments we've seen. Um and it wasn't, you know, we'll get to it later, but it was it was nearly one of two goalkeeper goals this weekend as well, which would have been interesting.
0: Uh, There's some bizarre incidents across the whole <laughs> EFL this weekend, which I'm looking forward to unpacking and unpicking with you. Uh, you said that this week, we, for the third week, this uh, feature has a different name. It started off good vibe, bad vibe. Week two, it was good cop, bad cop. Week three, good keeper, bad keeper.
1: Only in the championship. I haven't got bad keepers throughout because I do know the goalkeepers union gets frustrated with me when I, when I single out goalkeepers for um for for criticism um but I'm afraid to say I would love I would love well I wouldn't love to but I, if I could I would give bad cop um would be going after Reading Football Club as a team but I think that would be wholly unfair because I don't think Reading were necessarily that poor in the 4-0 defeat to Rotherham uh, yeah you heard me right there Reading not that poor in a 4-0 defeat against Rotherham And that is because the the blame has to, sadly, fall squarely on the shoulders of Joe Lumley, who was at fault for three of the of the four goals. I would say um, was, you know, the the, for one of the goals, the Jamie Lindsay goal, which is the third goal after eighteen minutes. It was a a Taibi moment Um, for those of a different generation. uh, It was effectively a scuffed shot from. Lindsay, where Lumley tried to kind of long barrier it whilst gathering it and then over the ball squirmed through both his arms and his legs somehow and dribbled into the back of the net um, and then the Ogbené goal to make it 4-0 was again one of the weirdest bits of goalkeeping I've ever seen where it was a ball over the top and Lumley charged out of his goal and almost in like an attempt to make it look as if he was trying to do something, he kind of feigns a header about a second after Ogbené gets on the ball um, we mentioned it you know, in our in our one to twenty fours, we had Reading bottom to much consternation from Reading fans, and you know I, I do personally think that there's probably been more on show, um, in terms of their performances over the course of a whole game than I, I probably anticipated. I think they've probably been a bit better than I thought they would be. Um, but we said then that Lumley getting a Championship move was, given his performances in recent seasons, was, was very surprising. Um, you have both. QPR Middlesbrough fans who believe that that he has effectively cost them playoff places in the last couple of seasons in terms of the goals that he lets in consistently. And this is the first iteration of Joe Lumley costing Reading. Um, you know, I'm not for one second suggesting that they would have um, you know, wouldn't have lost this game without Lumley, but those defensive lapses um have a have a knock-on effect because suddenly now. Paul Lintz has a decision to make in terms of does he bring Buzanis, who was brought in from Sutton, uh, to see, I mean, I, I predicted in the in the ones 24s that Buzanis would end the season as Reading's number one. Um, I did not expect it to be Monday, the 15th of August. We're already debating whether or not he's going to come into the side this midweek. If Lumley retains his position and Int stays in goal, that is not going to fill the likes of you know, of Holmes, McIntyre, Leidham, you know, the who made up the back three, uh, which is also pretty concerning in terms of personnel um, at Reading, the amount of confidence or any confidence that they would have had in the number one will be gone, which is also a bit of a shame, especially when you consider the breadth of the mistakes that were made by Lumley, whether it was shot stopping, whether it was command of his area or, or whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I hope that Lumley can bounce back from this. Um, you have to assume that he's made of some pretty stern stuff given um, the mistakes he's made in the last couple of seasons. Uh, but this, I fear, is the beginning of what will be a running theme uh, as long as he is number one at,
0: at Reading. And the other side of the coin, a gleeful 45 minutes for Rotherham and their fans, having not been able no, to watch... good cop. Look at this. Having not been able to watch their team play last weekend because of the debacle. Last week's bad cop, in fact, Coventry City's rubbish early season pitch... Um, And after that opening day, pretty creditable draw, I would say, against Swansea City and a pretty good performance. They'd have been wondering how their team would look after after a weekend off. Well, um, pretty damn good, making the most of of, uh, admittedly some poor goalkeeping from Lumley. Did you notice that Jamie Lindsay's celebration was like disproportionately... Lose like, as d- if, as if he'd scored a screamer. <laughs> yeah, which I, I guess actually, when I weigh it up, I think that's pretty funny. I probably would do the same, but I did. That did really stand out to me. Um, there were some, as as much as there was some terrible goalkeeping, there were some great individual moments here uh, within these goals. Ben Wiles' delivery for Wood uh, for the first goal was brilliant in curling cross. In curling cross, not a phrase. Um, And then Barlasa with, well, he got three assists overall, but uh, one of them was a short pass to Lindsay for that ridiculous goal. Um, The the second and fourth goals, I think both assists were really nice. A a ball over the top for Washington to run in behind. uh, And then that ball over the top that Lumley misjudged, but I would say had some lovely backspin on it. Now, I do think that's the goalkeeper's job to see the flight of the ball and work out if it's got spin on it whether it's going to skip through to them or whether it's just going to check back a little bit but Barlas has checked back uh, onto the on rushing Speedy Ogbene so some really nice moments and that finish from Washington i think i think you were putting that down as as something of an error from Lumley um it was a hell of a it was a hell of a strike small error you never want to get done at your near post do you but i think i i remember doing a um remember doing a stats bomb course. I did a day course at Statsbomb um, in Bath. It was so interesting about probably about three years ago now. And um, that there was a lot of talk, as you can imagine, about XG and shot locations and, and things of that nature. And the first thing I thought of when I saw this finish from Washington was something that they spoke about that day, Ted uh, and James, at Statsbomb, which is uh, Sergio Aguero basically trademarked this and scored a load of goals from that exact right hand side of the box, quite close in but definitely from an angle and and generally sort of footballing law is that you go low and hard across the goalkeeper and try and find the far corner and that's what most people do but because of the angle of that strike it's actually a pretty it's a probably a, a more low probability chance than most football fans would think just off the top of their heads but what Aguero found, and, and what I think the numbers do stack up with, really advanced numbers this, the sort of stuff that we don't have access to, is that from that exact angle, the best option in terms of beating a goalkeeper is to go high at the near post with power. That, for whatever reason, is the, is the toughest of all of those shots to, to save, possibly because of the element of surprise. Keepers are expecting players to go low and hard and then and then I guess you know you do have to be pretty precise with it because uh, as Washington showed unbelievable power if that shot isn't isn't hit as hard it probably doesn't go in so um, some great performances and some great moments from Rotherham 4-0 up at halftime coasting to victory here Um, a a word from Matt who's a Rotherham fan on NTT 20 squad the first name check of the season for Rotherham's young defender Cameron Humphreys uh, he's a former Man City Academy product who Rotherham have, have got this summer. I think he spent some time in, in Holland or was it Belgium? I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Apologies. But he's a centre-back and apparently he looked classy as hell on Saturday. So look forward to seeing more of that. Uh, but George, they were the good cop last week for their 100% record, which extends into week three. Blackburn Rovers beating West Brom 2-1 on Sunday. Yondell Thomason's Smiley Rovers <laughs> can do no wrong.
1: No, they can't. Um, it feels like they have started the season in. You know, it's the perfect start under a new manager. Um, there's no denying that. You know, this was uh, another game I think where Blackburn edged a pretty tight encounter. Um, you know, of their wins this season, the win against QPR, the three 0 win against Swansea, and the two one win against West Brom. You know, maybe taking out the Swansea game where they were so good on the break, but both the QPR game and the West Brom game uh, where they have come away one goal winners. Uh, you know, it's been a tight match They've, uh, that you know their clinical finishing ability has been what's seen them through. And that is uh, not a criticism. That is um, praising two magnificent finishes. To see Ben Britton-Diaz back in the kind of form that we saw him in, in the first half of last season is very good to see. Such a good strike for the first goal from range. Um, kind of wellied into the bottom left-hand corner from distance. And then a, a similarly good clinical finish from, from Sam Gallagher, which isn't something that we necessarily say too often. Um, many
0: uh, strengths to his game, Gallagher, but isn't necessarily strength being one of them particularly? <laughs> strength being one of the strengths of his game. Under strengths, you've just put strength. Yes, that's your job, though. Sorry, carry on.
1: No, it's fine. Um, and then they were they were tuning up. West Brom, um, as has been the case quite a lot this season, were fairly um, wasteful with their chances. Uh, you know, we didn't, we weren't able to talk about. Their game um, on Monday where they went toe-to-toe with Watford and with a better team uh, pretty pretty undeniably I would say um, but were unable to make that dominance count although you know Ismail Asar's missed penalty did mean that they were able to get away with a point but they were the better team against Watford they weren't able to finish their chances and, and Ismail saw scored from within his own half and pretty much the only chance apart from the penalty that they were able to fashion so for West Brom there seems to be that seems to be the issue at the moment. I don't think there's much concern in terms of the way they're actually playing um, or how individuals have settled into the side. Jed Wallace was again, a, a massive threat for them on the right-hand side against Blackburn here. Um, but with Carl and Grant, pretty much their only real option up front at the moment with Daryl DK injured uh, and Grant having a bit of a difficult time in front of goal. Um, and the goal itself coming from a, you know, huge deflection from a, from a Diangana shot from, from range. Um, I think West Brom fans will feel aggrieved that they've come away with nothing here but if you don't finish your chances then um then that's likely to be the case and Blackburn are certainly doing that under under Thomson um who himself had quite a lot of issues finishing chances when he was a player in England so maybe this is a bit of natural variance coming back to to help him but um yeah couldn't be a better start for Blackburn I think there was some understandable concern about them coming into the season giving the players they'd lost and and maybe hadn't really replaced them um, I don't think those fears after three league wins and a cup win are necessarily gone. Um, I, I personally don't think Blackburn will be able to maintain. Well, I mean, obviously not. But I think there is probably some trickier results coming around the corner. Um, but yeah, it couldn't have been a better start. And for for Baggies and Bruce, um, they'll feel like luck needs to turn for them pretty quickly.
0: Díaz es un problema. He really yeah. is at the moment. Jesus Christ. He has hit the ground running and it's so good to see. And there are Rovers fans in the NTT 20 squad who are are still, you know, if, if they're honest, albeit they're hopeful, they're still expecting him to move on before the end of the window. But just grateful, really, that even if he does, even if it's only five games that he plays this season, his performances have, have given them an unbelievable start. And I just think what's interesting about Diaz and translating him Projecting him rather up the divisions because I, I, I guess it's only really a Premier League club that that has the the finances to sign him at this moment in time. Is that he plays in a pretty specific role and a fairly specific area of the pitch? So he basically plays off the left wing and and more or less has done for the whole of last season and this season. There have been games where he's played more through the middle and sometimes you know he is placed there on on a sort of lineup sheet, but he takes a really aggressive position very high up the pitch and very much playing off the left side or just tucked in off the left side and running directly towards goal. Gallagher helps him so much with this regard because Gallagher himself sometimes plays in that right-hand side but he can generally be the focal point, the target man and he sucks centre-backs towards him which allows Diaz the the space in behind. I, I just think that position is quite relevant with regard to him potentially moving because his best stuff, Diaz, isn't when he's the team's number nine with others playing off him it's when he's playing off others, really. And if he gets bought by whoever in the Premier League, only to be played up top in a, let's say, in a 4-3-3 or whatever it is, that's already setting him up not to get the best out of him, in my opinion. So I just wonder whether this quite specific role that Blackburn have curated for him over the last two years to very much get incredible performances out of him, I just wonder if there are Premier League clubs wondering, can we recreate this with Diaz? In fact, is it worth you know? Is it worth signing this guy and changing our whole attack to try and um, develop him? These sorts of chances off the left side. It's a it's an interesting one. Of course, he's such a talented player that I'm not saying for a moment he couldn't play other roles. But that's just what we've seen. That's what we saw here again. Um, it's a it's going to be an interesting one. Seventeen-year-old at centre back for Rovers here, Ash Phillips, um, with Wharton and Carter injured. They're very light at the back and they do have injury problems. And he was too young, George, to wear a jersey with Rovers's vape sponsors on the front. Ash Phillips, so he wore a sponsorless shirt and the others wore a, a shirt with the vape sponsor on. Oh, and he came off injured too, as did Callum Britton. So quite a lot of defensive woes for for Rovers. And you mentioned the laser-sharp finishing. Only 10 open play shots in three games, which is six less than anyone else in the Championship, but there they are at the top of it. Quite weird move uh, for the neutrals' point of view. George West Brom shifting on Alex Mowat to Middlesbrough on loan. Um, one of those that always makes me a little bit worried because you're, you're sending him to a direct rival. And as we know, with Jed Spence last season, they, they could normally have quite a big impact. Um, I guess this is because with DK's injury, West Brom feeling light up front. Mowat dropped down to maybe fourth in the depth chart for West Brom's centre midfield role. Um, Bruce preferring to ship him off to free up some some, uh, some cash for a striker, but we don't know who. Uh, so I guess there's quite a lot of pressure on that signing. It'd be something to watch. Uh, how about Hull, too? Norwich City one, Norwich George a bottom of the league, but welcome to the league, Oscar Estupinian.
1: <laughs> yeah, listeners to the uh, pre-season betting show would have enjoyed us talking about Oscar Estupinian as a possible wild card for a top goal scorer, and he, and he got off, um, got up and running here with a couple of goals. Um, you know, this was typical of Norwich really over the last um, couple of weeks. They were fairly dominant um, I would say I've been a little bit frustrated you know this is 2022 and we're still hearing a lot of the post-match reaction just talking about pure shots and shots on goal um, making it sound as if um, All shots
0: are created equal
1: yeah oh, that was right out of my mouth <laughs> um, and you know whilst Norwich were by far the better team in the first half um, you know the and they had a lot of shots, they had whatever it was, 10 shots on target or, or whatever, um, You know, they were largely, t- to the most point, uh, pot shots really. Uh, and it wasn't until Aaron Ramsey fired over the bar, um, I think with a kind of 0.5 XG up to that point, they only created about 0.7 uh, expected goals. So it wasn't like they were um, continually creating good chances, but it should be said that Matt Ingram deserves a lot of credit for, for, for making the saves in the whole goal to keep Norwich at bay. And then as we've seen, you know, this has been Norwich's undoing so much this season. Um, they were caught on the ball uh, for the first goal with Estupinian, um, the recipient of what was a fairly easy chance. And then from a set piece, really scrappy, uh, Estupinian with his second. Now, I watched quite a lot of uh, YouTube videos and White Scout videos videos of, of Oscar when he turned up. And it struck me that he was incredibly left-footed and very good in the air. So for him to get get off the mark with two right-footed goals, uh, I wasn't necessarily anticipating um, from from close range, but but a, a brilliant start for him. And then uh, Nunez, who of course came in to the club uh, a week or so ago, came straight into our starting lineup for the Wigan draw. Um, scored a, a magnificent kind of thirty what thirty-yard free kick into the top right-hand corner, uh, a magnificent hit, but not enough at the end of the day. Um, and we heard Dean Smith saying in his post-match interview that you know, if, if his team was getting dominated then he would be more concerned. But that's not the case. They deserved to win the games. I just don't know if that's true, Dean. Like, I, I understand that in terms of, you know, if you take the 90-minute matches and you take out kind of two five-minute chunks of both the Hull and the, and the Wigan games, then yes, Norwich were dominant. But when you're conceding so many big chances relative to the amount of territory that the opposition are playing, that is not dominant. When, you, when Oscar Estupinian is able to tap home with his right foot twice within 20 minutes, when James McLean is, either, is able to, to roll the ball home into an empty net, and we're miss two other fairly good chances, clear cut chances in the match, it doesn't matter that for 80 minutes you are, you have possession, you have territory, you're the ones controlling possession. When you're not creating very good chances yourselves, I don't think it's right. You know, I don't think it's right to say that this is um, that they're on the receiving end of some. Of some bad luck, so um, I, I do think probably because Norwich have the players that they have, it's probably just a matter of time until things do click. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And those who who read, um, you know, our Betfair column this week will see that I you know I think they might go and, um, and and win quite handsomely in midweek because I do think things. You know, they've got too many good players. They are playing well enough. They are creating fair chances. Um, but this isn't like Norwich are getting incredibly unlucky every week. I think the opposition are doing enough to hurt them, and and the way that they're playing, well, the way they're defending isn't good enough. So, um, yeah, concern for Norwich, bottom of the table. We've heard um, if you've if you've you know listened to any or watched any EFL coverage this weekend, I'll repeat the stat again. This is the exact same um, start that Daniel Farker had uh, all those seasons ago before leading them. Uh, up to the, to the to the championship title. So, um, you know, there is a precedence there of it being able to be done. But I really don't, you know, they've got Huddersfield at home in midweek. Uh, Huddersfield coming into the game off the back of a win. I do wonder how long it'll be before questions are asked of Dean Smith, uh, especially because of last season's, um, of last season's poor form getting relegated from the Premier League. And also, I just think when managers start to talk about games in a a kind of falsely positive way it starts to concern me that they are maybe saying stuff to try and save their own skin and paint the picture of a match in a different way i reckon uh, i reckon if you were the norwich
0: manager after these three games you'd have said very similar things to to dean smith Mm, i I can't prove that i can't prove that
1: you're not you're but it's a it's a failure to acknowledge like drastically poor defending that's like we dominate games we deserve to win no no if, if you are constantly caught playing out from the back if teams are finding it easy to create good chances against you that's not dominance Territory, is this where i need to remind
0: you what you said to me last week when i spoke about chris wilder that chucking a microphone under a manager's mouth after a game you're not career. necessarily going to get either yeah. the most measured thoughts or necessarily what they even think or what they will say to their players exactly okay thank you i'm told let's move to on you. Uh, Cardiff 1, Birmingham 0, this one live on Sky, a Saturday lunchtime. Pure domination from Cardiff City. Uh, incisive attacking play from Cardiff City. The sort of attacking football, particularly in that first half, that makes me really excited for the continued development of, of this team. I think if you think about what Cardiff City looked like one year ago as they started that season under Mick McCarthy and I don't want to make the Cardiff City fans think for too long about that month or two because that was a pretty unpleasant month or two. But you watch this team now, it is, it is two completely different football teams and this one is much more exciting and, on the on the basis of what we've seen so far, has a probably a, a higher ceiling. Um, some of the star men in the first half, Romeo and O'Dowder down the right side, Dowder in particular, playing as a sort of inverted winger off the right side, looks pretty. Looks It just looks like a different player completely to what we've seen the last few seasons at Bristol City. Wintle in midfield has been fantastic. Of course, at the start of last season, McCarthy, having signed him on a free, then shipped him out on loan to Blackpool, didn't didn't want him to be part of his plans. He's now a big part, the the sort of beating heart, if you will, of this new Cardiff City. Um, And they've had three very different performances so far. I'm not going to get carried away and say they're a playoff contender, whatnot. I'm just going to say... That was really, really good football. They played very well. They made Birmingham look very ordinary. It might be that Birmingham's performance was just terrible. It was so different to that Huddersfield performance that I saw the week before. Um, but maybe it was partly down to do with with, with Cardiff and how quickly they came out of the traps. Three very different performances so far. The smash and grab win against Norwich on opening day, which was based on... Really strong defence, but nothing going forward. That that sort of speculative size long shot that went in. Then a 2-1 defeat at Reading from ahead as well, which was really disappointing. Throwing away a lead and not really creating too much, not really challenging uh, this Reading side. And now this absolutely dominant home performance with tons of chances created and some great attacking play. So it'd be interesting to see which of those three performances becomes the sort of the norm, or whether we might just see a, an inconsistent Cardiff who on their day up. Very, very good. I wouldn't mind that. Uh, great to watch. Fantastic performance from Cardiff, uh, and and Steve Morrison should take a lot of credit for for the work that he's done since since picking up the pieces of Mick McCarthy's reign. Uh, you mentioned Huddersfield, George. There, they did get a win, and they boy did they need this. It sounds ridiculous, but this feels like a massive win for for Danny Schofield and Huddersfield, just because of what had come before. Since we last spoke, after two defeats in the league, they then got thumped at home to Preston in the in the Carabao Cup. You know, the fact of going out at the Carabao Cup first round doesn't mean a lot, but it certainly didn't help Schofield and his squad. Uh, They got the job done here, though, against Stoke.
1: Yeah, they did. Um, And thanks to... There was an amazing uh, stat that I heard. Um, Lewis Baker's penalty was saved at 0-0. Apparently, Lee Nichols' 15th career penalty save. Like, I knew he was good at saving penalties, but that is unbelievable, especially given that he's kind of spent quite a lot of his career not as being the number one goalkeeper as well. Um, So, I know um, apologies if whoever I heard that from got it wrong, uh, but I'm just repeating it without without source. So, um, yeah, and that was it. Feels like could be a a, a big turning point for their season. Really, um, I think th- had they got one nil behind. Things could have got pretty pretty nasty at, at Huddersfield off the back of of that. Um, but of course it was Sorba Thomas's lovely left boot that created the opportunity for uh, Yuta Nak- Nakayama to score his first goal. Uh, a really well-placed header, although I do think Bursic could have done probably better with it. Um, and then Lewis Baker with a, with a brilliant strike to make amends for his um, for his penalty miss. And I think probably at that stage, um, after what we've seen so far this season, we probably anticipated that, that it would be Stoke who would go on to... Um, well, would be the more likely to win the game. But uh, an inspired substitution with Andrin coming off for Holmes and Holmes was was absolutely the difference maker. Um, you know, his energy coming off the bench, I think, can be so important, probably especially when it's about, you know, 35 degrees in, in Yorkshire. Um, I think someone like, like Holmes, uh, his relentless energy, his ball-carrying ability uh, and, and his vision here, because twice he escaped uh, behind um, Stokes' back line uh, off the left-hand side and both times managed to square it for... The on un- rushing striker, the first time Ward, the second time Rhodes. Ward's uh, very good finish, clip past Bursic, and then I think Rhodes did pretty well because the ball from from Holmes wasn't the best, was behind him, but Rhodes managed to get it out of his feet and, and and roll it home. But it's yeah, so a huge win for Huddersfield uh, after a really poor start to the season. It will certainly give them some relief. Um, you know, I don't think that the performance was was necessarily. A fantastic one, uh, and I still look through the side. You know, Jack Rodoni was playing centre midfield alongside Jonathan Hogg. Um, I do think that the signing of Kane Kessler Hayden on loan from Villa is a very good one and will give them some attacking thrust on the right hand side, where maybe Josh Ruffles is, is more of the stopper on the left. Uh, Ruffles, who gave away the penalty uh, initially. Um, but, you know, off the back of, of such a fantastic season and then such a difficult summer. And then such a poor performance on opening day in front of their home fans to score three at home and to beat a side in Stoke who, you know, whilst we not might not fancy them to to do too much this season, you know, certainly perceived to be the top half side um, will give them massive belief. And then they go to an Norwich team. Um, it's probably not an ideal pace to go off the back of that win, given. Well, I mean, you can look at it two ways. Either because Norwich are struggling, it's a good time to play them. Or, in in my opinion, they. Um, Norwich are kind of due here, and it's such a big game for Norwich that um, it'll be a tough place to go. But but a, yeah, a big win. Uh, Nichols the hero so many times last season, proving to
0: to play a crucial part here as well. They certainly looked less muddled defensively compared to those first two leg games mm-hmm. and and that cup de- defeat to Preston North End. So uh, need to build on that. We've got two one nil away wins, George. You can choose which one of them you will uh, pick up on. We got Blackpool nil, Swansea one, or Luton nil, Preston North End one. Uh, blackpool nil swansea one i'll take this was a, a very fun game bedlam i would say bedlam um, is my yeah. first note <laughs>
1: um it was uh yeah a, a mad game i think you uh, were quite unlucky did you back btts or over two and a half in this one um, i know mean, only finished overs. one nil
0: but yeah
1: but it was it was a game of, of many many chances um jerry yates missed a penalty in um was it i think halfway through the second half Another missed penalty proving pretty crucial with the team who miss at nil-nil going on to lose the game. Um, Josh Bowler, again, was quite comfortably Blackpool's best attacking player and best attacking threat. He was very good indeed. And Although Swansea kind of dominated the ball as you'd expect and dominated the chances in the first half, um, the game kind of swung in the second half and suddenly... Even after the penalty miss, it was all Blackpool who were who were doing the attacking and they looked the likeliest uh, to, to score themselves. And it was that dominance and that pressure that actually led to, to Swansea's goal. Um, you know, with five minutes to go playing at home, having missed the penalty, but being in the ascendancy, having not seen much of the ball for long periods of time, uh, Blackpool sent loads of men forward. And suddenly, um, on the turnover, Swansea were able to break. And Obafemi, who we know has the pace to get in behind, took the ball forward and in a very similar way to Holmes and, uh, and Rhodes, kind of squared it behind and Cham, who again did well to... <sighs> just that to one moment Ramos. where you thought, know.
0: oh my God, he's not going to score.
1: <laughs> it's such a bad pass, in fairness. I mean, it was, it was great vision. And you could see, I love the way that Obafemi, the whole way he's running up, you see him look up about four times to his right, just to keep checking where and Cham is. Um, so to have the... It was just very composed, to be honest. A, a striker who, you know, although he impressed us in the second half of last season, hasn't played a great deal of first team football. So to be racing clear with that much time to to pick out what you're going to do, um, and to have the vision, the composure, and and just about the uh, the ability to square it to Encham, who could roll it into an empty net, was was impressive. So I, I don't think Blackpool can necessarily have too many complaints. Grimshaw made loads of saves in the first half to keep them in it. But the way that the, the match flow went, I think after an hour or so, Blackpool would have felt like they would weathered the storm and then the missed penalty followed by the missed chances, only to then go and, go and concede so late in the game, having left themselves open, will be frustrating and disappointing for them. But for Swansea, after a really poor start to the season, after having the, the disappointment of being knocked, up at the, knocked out of the Carabao Cup in midweek, having been dominant in the first half at Oxford United, taking a 2-0 lead and then conceding to a a goalkeeper ricochet followed by a, a massive deflected free kick and then and then penalties um, would have been a, another kind of hit to their confidence but um but this should get the Russell Martin bandwagon up up and running again for this season uh, for for Blackpool um it hasn't been great since the opening day win against Reading and, and they need to find some points from somewhere
0: I think we'd both want a little more from our last man than uh, than whatever Dom Thompson was doing for that winning goal mm. just threw himself into a tackle which is I, I mean which is one option in that scenario but with absolutely no substance to it whatsoever um either in terms of winning the ball which he wasn't very close to or with any sort of physicality to try and either just foul Obafemi, bring him down and take the red or uh, or, or just to sort of knock him off balance and then hope that someone can cover and catch up. It was, yeah, it was poor. But um, justice for that penalty, which was never a pen, was it? Never a pen. Uh, well saved <laughs> no. that. Well saved by Fisher. Luton nil. Preston won. Well, Brad Potts. You have no right. You have no right to score that. Brad Potts unbelievable. is unbelievable. What it? Brad Potts's foot and leg when volleying volleying home that lovely deep cross from Brady was probably six foot off the ground. It was absolutely unbelievable. The athleticism of Potts and then the connection was simply sensational. And I think it's interesting because Potts, he's one of those players who is very popular with managers and has been at Blackpool and at Preston, has not always been as popular with fans. And I think this goal, albeit in a, you know, in a very exaggerated, spectacular fashion, shows what he can be. So Potts was always a, a midfield player, an attack-minded midfield player. When, when he w- won promotion with Blackpool, uh, he scored goals, arrived late into the box. He's a bit of a monster physically and stamina-wise, and he can cover ground and he can get up and down. And he now plays right wing-back for Preston, which was probably not a position I don't think you'd have, you'd have necessarily seen him in a couple of years ago. But I also think being realistic it's probably the position that he had to move to and he had to adopt in order to stay as a championship player because Potts isn't someone who thrives in a really busy midfield area um, getting the ball receiving it in tight spaces giving it spraying it passing forward that sort of stuff that's not where he adds value where he does have value is in pure physicality and in this knack for sort of uh, being a goal threat getting late into the box as it is now at the back post rather than sort of central midfield runs. Um, and that's how Ryan Lowe uses him. Now, I think I always thought that Lowe would prefer more of a technical wing back. Uh, that's what we saw at Argyle with Edwards and with Grant. Sometimes he plays a midfielder in Ali McCann at right wing back for Preston. So it's not even necessarily the mould of what I think a Ryan Lowe wing back is. And yet with his performances uh, and with his work rate and with his attitude with goals like this, uh, Brad Potts has carved himself out a very important part of this team. So a uh, valuable win for Preston, of course. I think this time last week we spoke about the fact that they'd ha- they had, I think, possibly the highest expected goals number through albeit only two games of anyone in the league, but that they hadn't scored yet. Uh, and then they absolutely thumped uh, Huddersfield in the Carabao Cup kind of, um, yeah, took the lid off eventually uh, their season uh, and then get a good win here at Luton. They did have to ride out pressure. And for Luton, this is three games now in the league. Two of them they've edged, including this one, you have to say, on balance of play. uh, And one of them was pretty even, you'd say, against Burnley. They've only got two points to show from those three games. And and in general, I would say... mm, Something to be disappointed about rather than worried about necessarily. Um, Woodrow had a good chance at the end. It would have been another good volleyed goal. Um, But the the good volleyed goal came from Brad Potts and that's what won it. So big away win for Preston there. A couple of uh, other ones to touch on, George. What about Millwall 3, Coventry 2 from 2-0 down to 3-2 winners. They never know when they're beaten at the den.
1: (laughs) What a game. Uh, Another incredible game. I think in, in a normal week we'd probably talk about this one first. Um, but because it's been such a good week it comes towards the end uh, Coventry I think you don't necessarily expect many teams to go to Millwall under Gary Rowett and uh, and take a two goal lead uh, McFadden with a, a a pretty scrappy goal uh, Matty Gordon getting the, the second and they were tunnel up within half an hour um, but things change pretty quickly uh, Jake the Snake your favourite um, goal scoring centre back Ali um, got, a, got a set piece goal to make it 2-1 uh, Honeyman hints of offside with with a second but we didn't see the angle to, to tell I think it kind of felt like he thought he was offside the way that he nonchalantly finished it looked over the linesman and kind of jogged off looking a bit surprised um, but it counted and then Gustavo Harmer as is so often the case letting himself down without getting sent off you know we know that he, he is such a, a good talented ball playing midfielder but can often um, overboil and that was the case here um, and got a second yellow and it was suddenly 10 against 11 and Millwall as you'd expect uh, in the ascendancy there with maybe a, a fairly unlikely goal scorer off the bench and George Savile with a really nice finish late on in the game. Um, a, a, a absolute sickener for, for Coventry and Mark Robbins who've had, after such a good season last season, um, a difficult start to their campaign. Um, and it's going to be hard for them because they can't play at home at the moment. So picking up points early in the season, they're going to have to do on the road. Uh, they of course got one with that brilliant Jokic goal on opening day against Sunderland to, to draw that game one all. But then, a postponed game, um, a four-one defeat against Bristol City in the in in the cup, and then and then this damaging three-two loss, and then they don't play midweek. So, not only they're not playing home games, but they're also going to be left behind in terms of catching up and and having to. Um, you know, the table is is not going to look very pretty for them. I don't think early in the season. So you know as starts the season go uh, i think coventry are probably enduring one of the one of the worst uh, even if just through uh, well through circumstances of their defeats and then the fact that they can't play half of their games
0: big uh, performance off the bench from Tyler Bury here some really good notable moments including a, a great strike from range off the post which Honeyman tapped in uh, and he was too quick for for hamer for for that red card before Savile won the game do you, do you think hamer harmer sorry is like you know how I'm trying to get better at cooking, as you know, this year. So I'm going to try and (laughs) use my first ever cooking analogy. Um, You know how on a hob, right? You've got, you know, you've obviously got the, the sort of knob, the nozzle, if you will. So you can have low heat or medium heat. Sometimes it tells you to put it on medium high heat, which I always think is a little bit vague. And then you've obviously got high heat, right? But as a chef, you're able to flick between them. And, and if it is getting a bit too I think you used the phrase he he overboiled if it is getting a bit too hot you just turn that down just for a couple yeah. of, just for a bit let's let it simmer etc etc you can take it off if you want what I'm saying to you is Harmer is like a hob that only has high heat or no heat and <laughs> therefore he can't regulate his heat when he's getting a little hot and here is the end of my first ever cooking analogy on Not The Top 20 pod and you know what enjoyed it might go for another one again soon um, Watford won Burnley nil. This one was on Friday night. Tom Cleverley answering some uh, some Watford fan critics after a first two games in which they hadn't looked particularly strong in midfield, had they? And Cleverley was one of the players being questioned. Uh, but finished a what was a really nice move for for Watford's goal at the end of the first half. It, it, I mean, they they didn't create a ton um, outside of that, but it was. Um, you don't necessarily always need to they, they sort of picked their moment right and that was a really nice move down the right cut back for cleverly to finish and then they they did rely on on backman you know if if against West Brom they relied on Ishmael Assar's quality to get them a point albeit clearly he missed a penalty but overall second best quality of individual gets them a point if against Sheffield United they were pretty good but generally the narrative was quality of the front three them three points. Well, it's nice to see that the goalkeeper this time is, is the kind of key contributor. Backman making some good saves to keep Burnley at bay, and um, Chowdhury alongside cleverly in midfield. I think could be a nice pickup. Should be a nice signing for them. Uh, and and more movement to come. You'd think still two weeks left of the window. Big Keenan Davis is being confirmed. I cannot believe we get to watch him again at second tier level. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. My favourite Championship player from last season, Keenan Davis, joins Watford dennis is now out we won't watch him again that's fine i'm all right with that uh and i'm excited to see how rob edwards makes this work of course uh, joao pedro's been playing a really interesting role uh, and I'm, I'm just trying to work out how him and keenan davis and Sara if he stays fit I think, you know, Pedro is this incredibly roaming number 10 who quite often seems to be picking the ball up off the centre-backs or at least did it a couple of times against West Brom. Keenan will be in that left striker slot that he played for Forrest and then Saar, I guess, in kind of in that Brennan Johnson high-sided right-sided forward role, just running in behind a lot and getting on the end of through balls and, and enjoying the space that Davis creates for players because he always sucks in so many defenders because of his his um his control and and because of his skill as well. So uh, it's an incredible points return George just quickly on on Watford. I wanted to get your thoughts. We've we've I think all three of their games have been televised now, so people have seen a lot of them. 7 points from 9 against Sheffield United at home, West Brom away, Burnley at home. I think Rob Edwards deserves massive credit because among uncertainty with a lot of squad churn as we're seeing as they go. Um, a, a club and a squad that's always feels a little uncertain after relegation, and and that's something that he has to manage off the field. But just seems to be leading things with with his sort of handsome confidence that we've come to expect. Um, definitely still fair questions about the performances, but it feels a bit like two years ago, where if Watford is succeeding in picking up a ton of points while not really clicking, then there's a couple of ways of looking at it. And I just, I think my way of looking at it is. That's pretty ominous for the rest of the league, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and I think crucially, because I, I haven't been impressed with Watford so far. If I'm honest, um, that's not necessarily a big criticism. I think you know we've seen the the players they have at their disposal means they're going to have some chances, but they're going to be able to create chances and finish them. Uh, but having said that, the performances themselves, whilst they've exerted some control, um, you would probably expect them to. The level of dominance over other teams to be higher or or exist at all. Um, I think the the Keenan Davis loan is going to be a fun one, you know, if he can stay fit. But the crucial thing for Watford, I think, that maybe kind of can get lost here is is the games, is the teams that they've had to play. You know, Sheffield United looked very poor on opening day. I think Watford made them look poor and they've been very good since then. Um, Burnley on opening day, we loved their performance against Huddersfield. They were decent in the second half against Luton. And I thought they were good again, to be honest, on Friday night, especially in the second half. Um, you know, it was, the impressive thing for me was how well Burnley managed to stifle the attacking players of Watford. You know, the fact that it was a Tom Cleverley goal, um, which was a, a very good finish, but it was kind of one of the only chances Watford were able to create it was good. And then in the second half, especially against 10 men, Burnley were unlucky not to get anything from the game. Um, and the other one was West Brom, where West Brom, you know, battered. Uh, in my opinion, battered them on the day yeah, and we're lucky not to get anything. So so Watford have played three good sides, I think, and have come away with seven points. If, you know, what would a fair return have been in those games? Probably four, I would say. I think West Brom probably should have beaten them. I think a draw would have been a fair result on, on Friday night, but they're not, they're not, Letting teams, um, you know, they're not creating a load of chances themselves. They're pretty solid at home. it will be interesting to see how they going to get on away from home after you know their one away performance so far. Um, you know, West Brom. I think West Brom won the won the corner count twelve nil in that game, which kind of shows the um, the the flow of the game. And as we mentioned earlier, Sars' goal from inside his own half was the was the key. Although you know they did have the best chance to to win the game with the penalty uh, that was saved. Um, so cautious optimism, I guess. You know, I, it's it's that. Not the top 20 cliche where one of two things I think is going to happen. Either Watford improve and they maintain this rate or if the performances don't improve, I think we can probably expect to see some um, some points dropped fairly soon. They've got two away games on the trot this week. Uh, they go to Birmingham, which you'd probably anticipate that they should win, although it does feel to me like Birmingham might be a side who, who are much better at home than, than away this season. And then they go to Preston, who will will fancy them against them as well. So I think, you know, if we see Watford come away from those two games with maximum points and an improvement of performances, then I think they'll justify their place at the top of the betting market to to win the league. But still enough question marks. Yeah, it doesn't feel to me at this stage, it's very early. I think a few people, um, a few neutrals who follow the league, if they were asked now who has been... the most impressive side of the championship. Who do you think are going to win the league? Watford would be the most common answer um, based on the results. But I'm still not quite there yet. Um, Yeah, it it feels to me like they have
0: some improving to do. Couple of draws. Sunday, Borough 2, Sheffield United 2. Really topsy-turvy game. Um, Good moments for both teams. Uh, Sheffield United probably frustrated to throw away two leads and Borough probably frustrated to have conceded two goals and not to have won a game where they probably on balance had the better chances Akpom at the double, though. Uh, and then Wigan won Bristol City one. Uh, entertaining game. You know, you were kind enough to say that my uh, Wednesday, uh, Swansea Blackpool goals bet not coming in was unlucky. I think this is the same for you. You, you went overs, didn't you, in this one. 1-1 Wigan, Bristol City. Uh, open play Andy. He's on for 46 open play goals. One in each game. And you love to see it. Didn't take him long in this game. Uh, in League One, George, bit of uh, GCBC, as we call this new feature. And we've got it's not, I'm not going to run it in every week, but we, were, we are very lucky to know an incredibly talented producer called Abby Patterson, who works on many of the Athletics' excellent podcasts, uh, on which we also work. And Abby had a little fun with you really thriving in your role as bad cop on the Athletic podcast that you do as well. She's had a bit of fun with it, which we thought we'd share. Seduce your
1: I'm a bad cop. Duh.
0: I your dad I'm a bad cop. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. That's what separates the the great producers from the good ones. Where are you going for for BC this week?
1: I'm going to Milton Keynes. Um, Milton
0: Keynes Dons,
1: specifically. Uh, I was very excited about MK Dons um, before the season started. I was there saying, don't worry about twine and darling leaving they're gonna be fine they have got the best manager in the league they're the best run club in the league and things have been have been dire to be honest in the first three games of the season um and it you know they they were looked a little bit better in the 1-0 defeat against sheffield wednesday uh last weekend but the, the 3-0 loss against Ipswich was was very very poor um they were battered from from pretty much the the get go. Wes Byrne scoring after five minutes. Uh, Marcus Harness doubling the lead after 28, and there wasn't really much of a fight back either. Um, they missed, you know, Dennis missed a decent headed headed chance um, to get them back into the game. But realistically, this was one way traffic throughout. Uh, Ipswich, of course, have started the season very well, and you know, there's there's no denying that going to Portman Road at the moment is a, is a difficult assignment for MK. Um, but having started the season three games played, no points, naught goals, conceded five. Um, and it was Jamie Cumming who kind of stopped the the, the scoreline being worse here, I would say, with a couple of saves. Given where MK Dons and Ipswich finished the season in the last campaign, you can see just how big the drop-off has been from MK. Although, you know, big credit to Ipswich for starting the season um, in, in very, very good form. So, big concern around MK at the moment, you have to say. Um, they look way off it. And... Um, and I'm not entirely sure why or where the improvement is going to come from.
0: Well, this sums us up pretty well because I prefer to focus on the team that demolished them here in Ipswich Town. at Good cop is how much I love Ipswich Town under McKenna when they play like this. And this is what I want to see each week. Now, you mentioned a not the top 20 cliche there. Uh, will the results start to follow the performances or will the performances improve, etc, etc. I think another one early in the season is are X good or are X or are Y Just bad. And I guess this is probably quite an interesting one here because Ipswich wiped the floor with MK Dons. Um, A few people have messaged me about this game. Phil saying, Ipswich, so strong, so quick on the attack. Just a joke. Uh, Joe, Ipswich fan. It was as good as I can remember. Absolutely suffocated them from start to finish. Admittedly, scoring at good times always helps, but we managed to isolate their weak points well and they just couldn't live with the intensity of the game. There was a 50-minute spell. 5-0 from from the 15th minute to the 65th minute where MK Dons didn't have a shot. That's the sort of control that I keep banging on about um, that Kieran mckenna Ipswich can achieve when they're at their best. And if they can achieve that consistently over 46 games, they are not going to concede very many goals. So going forward was always the big thing, um, that you know the big question mark. It looked good here. I mean, it looked good mainly down to Genoid Donassian uh, playing right centre-back and... Well, Tom tweeted us to say he might be the most underrated player in League One. Hard to argue. Superb defensively. But going forward was was where he really impressed with, with two assists, um, galloping forward, getting into those incredibly awkward areas for opposition teams to defend against. When the right-sided centre-back is at the byline, cutting it back to the right wing-back who's on the penalty spot, that is confusing. That is difficult to defend against. It is not predictable. Um, that won't. That won't be to say that MK Dons didn't know what Donatien and Wes Burns were going to offer, but in-game, I think in the moment, it's really tough because it's not... Uh, it's not easy to, to defend against. So uh, really impressive performance from Ipswich. We had a goal from Marcus Harness, who I did feel was going to add a lot in that sort of uh, goal-scoring 10 role. He has two goals already, um, but Donasi in the star man for sure. Uh, and I just hope that the goals aren't too far away for Ladapo because I think he started the season playing quite well. Um, but I think he's the kind of guy that once he gets going and once he gets confident, if he can stay fit and motivated, he's going to score a lot of goals. So good cop, Ipswich town. Just an evisceration of, of this MK Don side on Saturday today um, and very very impressive I can't help but notice George that they are top and Sheffield Wednesday are second the two favourites for the top two pre-season are the top two after three games which um, probably shouldn't be read into too much but it does feel like it's an unusual um, it's all over. Wednesday beat Charlton at uh, 1-0 and well from a Charlton perspective quickly because I did see them the week before that they beat Derby when they were second best I think they've lost to Wednesday here and come away with a lot of credit for their performance and that's the kind of vagaries of the early season isn't it Um, they they certainly looked more dangerous in the first half and much better start to the game than they had against Derby so credit Garner for, for that but I spoke about them being dangerous in transition but not being that good in terms of build up attacks which might not be what people expect from a Ben Garner team such as his emphasis on possession um, but again against Wednesday it was On the break with Blackett Taylor, who we spoke about last week, who looked really dangerous, didn't take their chances. And then once Gregory came on for Patterson and Byers came on for Volks in the second half Wednesday, got more of a grip on the game, Um, the cross... The goal, rather, is just a sensational cross from Windass and a brilliant late run and header from from Backinson. I just think there's not much you can do to defend against that sort of delivery plus movement plus finish. Um, Really impressive. I wanted to ask you about Wednesday. It's, It's basically a continuation of what you just spoke about with Watford, to an extent, an interesting discussion on NTT 20 squad, which is a place full of interesting discussions. And it's about performances against results with Wednesday in mind. Connor, who's a Wednesday fan, saying... The worrying thing for me is that this is a bit similar to how we started last season, playing in spells instead of playing well for 70 plus minutes, but winning the game on moments of individual quality and mistakes and other teams just not punishing us. Do you look at it as good teams win ugly? We're doing that at the moment and soon performances will improve and we'll, and we'll pick up a lot of points. Or do you think if we keep playing this poorly, we might start to find ourselves on, on the wrong side of these games and start to draw or lose games? That's the big question with Wednesday at the moment. The points return is impressive.
1: Definitely the second. I think you know it's it, it's very similar to, to the to the Watford conversation we just had in the championship. Like I think anybody who still thinks that winning ugly is a sign of a good team, it, it's not the case. It, it can be the sign of a lucky team, and if and if those, you know, winning ugly or, or winning when you're playing poorly, in isolation, can be. The recipe for a successful team because if you know if you're playing well for eight out of ten games, playing poorly in two, but those are going your way, then that's obviously going to be a big help. But if you're consistently playing poorly, then you're going to get caught out eventually. Um, the only difference I would say between the, the Watford and the Sheffield Wednesday chat is that there is precedence for this squad and this manager to be very, very good at this level in, in the second half of last season. Um, and you know, there have been a couple of additions, especially in the back line. So maybe it's not that surprising, even though they're not conceding many goals, that, you know, teams are finding it easier to create against Wednesday with Ahikwe, Hennigan, Stockdale all kind of being thrown into the team at once. Um, it would make sense for that, for that, you know, the partnerships between those to take some time to gel. Um, but Windas, you know, is probably in terms of technical ability and what he's been able to do Um you know, if you were to take a player of the year, i.e. 2022, um, I think Windass would be right up there as being the best in League One, um, having come back from his injury uh, halfway through last season. It was a catalyst for Wednesday's good form and he's been their best player so far this season. Um, for Charlton, I just can't believe we've got a midfield three of of Morgan Fraser and Dobson. Um, it's just so great to see and, and I think they're going to dominate the position. You know, you are right about them having um, joy on the break and it's not, no surprise with Blackett Taylor's pace, but um, I think we're going to see them dominate games in possession as well. And and they had more possession in this one as well, albeit in, in deeper areas. So, um, yeah, I think Charlton have started the season well. And I'm not too bothered about Wednesday now because, as I say, there is precedence for them to improve. But there's no denying that, um, as is the case with Watford, they've probably picked up more points than their performances have deserved.
0: Talk to me about Plymouth Argyle to Peterborough United 0. This is two home games for Argyle and two very good wins against Barnsley and now against Peterborough. Yeah, I I think this is interesting
1: because we've seen um, two Argyle performances at home where they've been sensational. We've seen two posh performances away where, yes, they beat Cheltenham 3-2, but they were very poor in the game. And then they were completely outplayed here. So I I wonder if this is like an early trend to look out for, that home park could be where Plymouth Argyle are going to really... You know, are going to be able to dominate games, and Posh might have a bit of trouble on the road because this was this was well deserved. This 2 0 win. Um I felt sorry for you and your your followers in the betting show. I'd actually forgotten to back Barley. Remember, uh at uh, big prices, um, but he had a, a a very very good chance saved by Bergstrom at nil-nil, which would have really cashed in for you in the betting show. Um I wonder when people are going to take note um, in terms of the position that he's playing, and then he was fouled for the penalty as well again, uh, again won this, the, pen the second time this season. Yeah, um, you know, we had it, we had him down as as one of the best signings of the of the window, and he's he's immediately showing his worth for them. And Argyle were just the better side from the start to finish, and and I really think we're seeing here that even though it was a disappointing defeat on the road to Fleetwood, having taken the lead, you've got to now think that Plymouth Argyle are, you know, last season was no fluke. Um, they are going to be there or thereabouts this season if they continue to put in performances at this level and dominate teams the way that they have done at home. Um, I think they Plymouth at home, alongside probably Ipswich, have been um, the most impressive side for me so far in League One. Uh, really, really good. And, and I think for Peterborough, they just have to accept that they came up against a very good team uh, on a good day on Saturday and, and not get too down about it. Because, um, as I say, I think losing to Argyle away will, will improve with age.
0: Another team that I'm impressed about off the back of the weekend and and cautiously upgrading in my mind's eye, uh, that's Portsmouth. they got their first league win of the mm. season at Cheltenham 2-0. Uh, pure dominance, you have to say, in this game. And uh, and two goals from Colby Bishop won it. Cowley's Cow's uh, Sunday scouting report said we controlled it from start to finish. They had a couple of long balls first half that they almost got in with. That's about it. We never had to step it up to control the game. Um, it looks like Colby Bishop's playing with confidence and that's exciting you know three and three for him grabbing the ball for the penalty and, and dispatching it exactly what you want to see from your big striker summer signing when we recorded the 1-24s they didn't have an obvious uh, number nine an obvious front man and, and in Bishop someone who on paper always looked like a bit of a classic Cowley number nine um, who who can certainly mix it if they want to go long and bring others into play uh, and, and spent a lot of his time at Accrington being a pure target man and a foil for, for the more lively perhaps Dion Charles but can score Goals as well, and it started with great confidence. And on the first Monday bottom of the season, after they'd drawn three all with 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 Wednesday, I, I asked for Pompey to show uh, or to exert dominance in their next games, and to win games against those in the bottom chunk, and win them kind of comfortably, and prove their their dominance, prove their chops to be a, an automatic promotion contender. And they did that here. They and they did dominate against Lincoln last week as well, but didn't get the goal and drew that nil nil. So um, good start. They've got Cambridge and Bristol Rovers at home to come this week. So could we be looking at Pompey having picked up another six points next Monday? They will be expected to win both games. And, and that that's the gauntlet that you have to lay down uh, and that Cowley and Pompey have to answer. Can they do this? The squad looks good now. I wasn't sure about it a couple of weeks ago. All of a sudden, you've got a bench, which includes Joe Piggott, Ronan Curtis, Tom Lowry and Owen Dale. Now, those two might take a bit of time to get up to speed, but Piggott and Curtis as well. It's positive signs for Pompey, that's for sure. Um, and for Cheltenham, the opposite of that. It's three defeats now. up at half-time on opening day against Posh. No goal scored since then and three defeats. Kevin, who's a Cheltenham fan on, on NTT 20 squad. 315 minutes without a goal for us now, he said. Uh, we lack quality in both boxes. Uh, we're yet to be played off the park this season but fair to say I'm a bit worried. Need a quality centre-back and another striker with quality. Lundulu, an interesting one because he had another chance here where he looked dangerous on the break and, and it means you can't switch off as a, as a defender, can you? But, his engine's not good, says Kevin. He lasts basically forty-five minutes, and in the second half, he looked completely off. So, um, big, big issues for Cheltenham to start the season. You were at a League One game this weekend um, at the Mem. Bristol Rovers one, Oxford United nil. Sorry to ask, George, but tell no, that's me, right. Tell me about this one.
1: I'm pretty happy he didn't shove a microphone under my mouth um, at two thirty on uh, on on Saturday. Because uh, would you have, have said sense. no? I'm gonna be more measured here <laughs> um, and. Forget that I um yeah anyway, it was it was a pretty poor game I would say. Um, Oxford hit the bar through Sam Long uh, from a set piece. I mean Oxford have had some real difficulties um, creating chances so far this season, which isn't what you expect from a Carl Robinson side. And you know the, it's a it's a weird one where the quality of individuals is so evident during the game. Uh, Marcus McGwain was. I think, fairly comfortably. I think even Bristol Rovers fans would, would probably admit that he was he was the best player on the pitch on the day playing a holding midfield role where not only was he able to carry the ball through the field pretty much at will, but also his defensive work was way better than anything I've seen from him so far. He seems to really be relishing the opportunity that he's getting to play there. Um, but it didn't really matter because no matter what good work he did in midfield, uh, Gas were, were, were solid at the back and were able to basically keep Oxford at arm's length. The ball was consistently recycled out, out wide clipped into the box where no one was there to to meet it. Um the opening goal came from Bristol Rovers. They're threatened earlier on in the game with, with Clark making a very good save from a, a long range strike, I think, from Finlay. Uh, and th- the goal itself was a, a really well worked set piece. All credit to Joey Barton for for coming up with something like that. You know, it was it was a, a free kick from wide on the right. James Henry was put on, I can't remember who it was, um it you know, basically Oxford's worst worst player in the air was put on the man at the near post who you assume the ball's not going to go to. But the ball was squared and clipped over to him—a uh, complete mismatch—and and Seddon didn't track his his runner in Marquis, who was able to head home, following a you know a, a square ball um, into That's an gone. empty net. Really good goal, really well worked set piece. And then I thought, you know, this is what really changes in the in the 36 hours between leaving the game and now. I thought Bristol Rovers managed the game superbly in the second half. Uh, if you'd have asked me what I thought at 2:30, I'd have said. Can't believe they were time-wasting after 46 minutes. Um, But when you think about it, when it was 35-degree heat um, and you got a 1-0 lead at home against a side who are struggling to create, it's exactly the right thing to do. Just keep the ball out of play for as long as possible. Make sure that you are not overexerting yourself trying to chase a second goal. And they kept Oxford at bay pretty comfortably. There was one big chance where Matt Taylor put in a a really good ball into James Henry. Again, if it was was roles reversed, I'm sure it would have been 1-0. Henry with a free header from six yards out didn't head it down, um, kind of, it was just one of those, it was quite obviously a player that wasn't particularly confident with his head, nodded it over the bar and and after that, it was, you know, last 15 minutes and never really felt like Oxford were going to gonna get near them. So, big credit to Bristol Rovers for not only a, a brilliant bit of, of set piece work to get ahead, but they're managing the game very well in the second half, as frustrating as it was as a partisan fan to watch, um, but this is with my neutrals hat on, it was a, a game plan executed brilliantly and, um, but Oxford, I think there are there are big concerns now because the the 1-0 win over Cambridge last weekend wasn't necessarily deserved. It came from a, a moment of quality from an 18-year-old kid. And that is now three league games in a row where they have looked fairly toothless up front. I think Carl Joseph will probably start on Tuesday. He looked very lively after coming on just in terms of pure work rate and, and winning balls in the air and, and looking to run the channel as well, which I think will suit because the likes of, of Marcus Brown and, and James Henry and Billy Bowden uh, will profit from having someone who can do that and create space inside to um to exploit. Uh, but there are early murmurings of discontent from Oxford fans who, who kind of feel like the performances don't really amass to um to the sum of the parts of the team.
0: Mm. Well, it just felt like the thing you could always rely on with Yellows in the last few years has been shot volume and, and attacking output and mm. only two shots in the last 40 minutes one in the last 20 uh, and just one goal in the first three games of the season um didn't realize i knew you were an oxford fan i didn't realize you were a partisan fan as well um mm. growing up belgrade. in the streets of belgrade yeah worshipping how Ra- did you not know that raddy antich and savo Milosevic. no i didn't like Antic. massively overrated didn't like his antics mm. derby two barnsley one this was the sponsorless derby Derby County currently don't have a sponsor after sort of summer shenanigans. Got bigger fish to fry than sort out a sponsor over the summer and they seem to be doing that very well. Barnsley, well, uh, they had a sponsor for, for a week or two. Now they don't have a sponsor because it was some uh, pretty Mucky. pretty lively crypto bros who, uh, who have been thankfully seen off. Um, and congratulations to the Barnsley fans for taking a stand over something that, uh, that they felt they need to take a stand over and, and winning so to speak. Uh, Derby went ahead with a, a gimme, really. An own goal from McCarthy. Uh, corner came in. Keeper tried to get it, missed it, and it's just hit McCarthy on the head and gone in. And Mendes Lang made it 2-0 for Derby, who I think has been one of the better performances, uh, performers rather, in League One in the first few weeks of the campaign. Uh, whether it's scampering down the wing, whether it's being a real threat on the break for Derby, or in this case, just coming inside when the ball is, is out left and, and receiving it on the edge of the box and, and spanking it in. 2-0 uh, up, and then Barnsley did actually pile on a fair bit of pressure. The damage was already done. They managed to get one back, but uh, but Derby winning this one 2-1. And the, the note for me, having seen them last week and then watching the highlights back here, is Derby really skewing down the left side at the moment in terms of build-up. And it's really causing headaches by the looks of things. It certainly did for Charlton. And it looks like it did as well for, for Barnsley because of the, some of the chances they created. The goal came down the left side, but also Collins uh, in the second half had a great chance, which came from the left side. You've got Cash in the left centre-back, comfortably the, the the better of their centre-backs on the ball. Hayden Roberts, the left-back involved, um, who, who can kind of knit things together. Barkhazen, high and wide on the left wing, but also making runs centrally, kind of that Britton diaz role trying to support the striker. It's the positions of Conor Harahan that are most interesting and, and seem to be causing the most problems. He's the the left-sided centre midfielder of the three, but he's taking up incredibly wide positions uh, in possession. And the opposition don't seem to be clear who should go with him. Like, should a centre-back go out with Connor? Um, Should it just be down to the wide players who seem to be struggling with the numbers? Uh, it's been really interesting tactically from Rossini. I've enjoyed it. Um, and look, Harahan got the ball on the left side, basically in a left wing roll in the second half, set up Collins with a beautiful low cross. Uh, It's typical of Harahan. It's typical of what I'm talking about. um, And it's something to watch if you watch Derby in the next few weeks. Uh, Wickham won Shrewsbury 2, George. You wouldn't have expected a Shrews win at Wickham before the game. You certainly wouldn't have expected it when Wickham were 1-0 up.
1: Yeah, a smash and grab from Shrews this one. Um, Wickham at home, normally so dependable. And that looked to be the case again, having gone 1-0 up against the Shrewsbury side, um, who struggled to create anything really of note throughout. Um, a, a brilliant McCleary goal, as we always expect it to be. Picking up the ball wide, driving it goal and hammering it into the bottom left-hand corner. But Marco Morosi is is just such a good goalkeeper at this level. And last season, he was so important to so many um, points that Shrewsbury were able to pick up. And yet again here, it was all Morosi who, who prevented... Uh, Wickham from going 2-0 ahead and taking the game completely away from, from Shrewsbury. Um, and then it was, uh, you know, when Pennington equalised for for Shrews, Wickham was still the team in the ascendancy. Um, but late in the game, uh, you wouldn't anticipate Joe Jacobson would be the the naive one in a tussle with Tom Bayliss but you know, Bayless was able to get his body in front and, and it was a pretty easy decision to make for the, for the referee um, to give Shrewsbury a very late penalty. And Luke Lee, he is as dependable as they come from the spot. Um, it, it feels to me, I'm not necessarily saying that he was at fault for the goals, but um, Tyler Dickinson is still in goal for Wickham here, having lost David Stockdale to, to Sheffield Wednesday. You know, we know that Wickham are after a keeper. Gareth Ainsworth has kind of continually said that he's not going to panic, buy one, not going to go out and get one for the sake of it. But it does seem to be a bit of a soft centre to Wickham at the moment. Um, you know, they conceded three goals against, against Bolton in their last away game uh, as well. Um, yes, they beat Burton three 0 but you know we saw in that game um, it was a bit of a non-event after taking the lead three nil. It just feels like Wickham's, you know, when you look at how important Morosi is to Shrewsbury, how big having a dominating keeper can be, coupled with the fact of how important Stockdale himself was to this Wickham side last season, um, it's asking a lot of Dickinson to come into the side knowing that he isn't first choice by choice. And um and, and have the same kind of impact, and I think we are seeing a, a palpable loss of points, maybe maybe for that, not not just in terms of what Dickinson isn't doing in terms of saving, but I think the the confidence that can um you know that can, can go through a defence in a team by having a, a reliable goalkeeper is is important, and I don't think last season we'd have seen Wickham squander this lead, uh, especially not to lose the game as well. So. Um, And maybe that has something to do with with Jacobson's rash challenges as as Bayless kind of entered the box. Um, So, yeah, big win for Shrews. um, Disappointment for Wickham, who have a tricky couple of games now. They go to Exeter in midweek and then they go to Barnsley. So a tough couple of away matches um, off the back of a a really disappointing home defeat where their performance um, probably suggested they should have got more.
0: Well, Cambridge beat Exeter 2-1 from behind. SEA Grecian Sunday Scouting Report said, classic game of two halves, Exeter ran out of steam against the Cambridge side, who continued to unflashily find a way to pick up results, as shown by Digby, who's never going to grab headlines, but is so hard to play against Tracy very lively off the bench it was Digby the centre midfielder for Cambridge who got the winning goal Um, in the first half Nombe and Brown were causing Cambridge a ton of problems up front for Exeter as a duo as a partnership they have stepped up this level very nicely indeed it's really exciting good to watch as well Brown scoring against his old club Cambridge who gave him a chance in the Football League and didn't hold back with his celebration I think he was I think he was digging a grave in his celebration. I don't know if that was anything to do with his former club or just something that he's worked on. Um, but it was it was good to see. Uh, and then Cambridge came back with two thumping headed goals to win it. Uh, the winner, most exciting thing for me, was the flash of quality. The excellent play from Jack Lancaster to set up the winning goal. Lancaster's First minutes of the season, first league minutes, he came on for 10 minutes and with a flash of quality, set up the winner and, uh, you know, former Ipswich youth player had a few uh, moments for them as a very young player, a couple of opportunities. He's exactly the sort of player that makes sense at Cambridge that I could easily see developing well uh, this season under Bonner like so many others have. He's got a bit of a fight on his hands to get these minutes because there are established performers. Um, But if he does things like that more often, then we're going to be talking more about Jack Lancaster and Cambridge who have two wins already in three games. You know they they won 15 league games in 46 last season to, to comfortably finish uh, 14th was it? Well, you know it's a very very good start for them. You have to say we had four draws, including a 4-4 draw, Accrington against Burton. That means Burton's record now is opening day three nil down at half time, lose three nil. Second weekend four nil down at half time, lose four uh, nil. And then here against Accrington three nil up after 50 minutes, four two up. We tend to go. Still don't win. Uh, Accrington came roaring back. Some some more th- great-headed goals in that one. Uh, Fleetwood and draw- Morecambe drew 1-1 against the backdrop of heavy rumours of Cole Stockton being targeted by Fleetwood. He missed this game. Derek Adams said afterwards that he called in sick on Saturday morning. The plot thickens. Uh, vale nil, Bolton nil was a, a controversial game. My main takeaway was some excellent saves from James Trafford for Bolton and Port Vale's debutant goalkeeper. Jack Stevens on loan from Oxford United and starting really really well and then Lincoln and Forrest Green drew one one. Uh, Connor Wickham in the goals for Forrest Green is first for them after signing a short-term contract a couple of weeks ago. League two George, GCBC I'm going good cop first because after two games we had five teams with maximum points. And now there's only one 100% record. That means Leighton Orient, who beat Mansfield 1-0 on the weekend, are in this segment. Richie Wellens going very well indeed. And now I'm going to change my tone because this was... I mean, how have they won this game? (laughs) Literally, how have Leighton Orient won this game? Uh, Nick, who's an Orient fan, tweeted us to say, undeserved three points for Orient. Having the best keeper in the division certainly helps. We've not played well yet. We've won all three. Great debut from El Mizuni though. Mansfield are good and will be top seven if they play like that every week. Now, and the rest. Viggs did a classic Viggs. Gave away a penalty rushing out of his goal and then brilliantly saving it with his right hand down low. Unbelievable right save.
1: Hand. It's one of the best penalty saves I think I've ever seen that.
0: I agree. Then made a, two... a Twitter
1: account called Penalty Kick Stat who has a, a map of penalties and the percentage of scoring them for each kind of quadrant of the goal. Yeah. And he, I mean, he doesn't tweet League Two stuff sadly, but having seen that map and where that ball was headed, I mean, that's got to be in the 90-plus
0: percentile, I'd have thought. Unbelievable stop. Not when Viggs is around. He then went on to make two brilliant saves with his feet to keep Mansfield at bay, who were the better side at 0-0, and then Orient caught them out. You know, I would say with Mansfield, I've been trying to stay positive about them because I do think that they should still end up in a decent position here, but talked about it after their opening day defeat to Salford. Time and time again, we're seeing a Mansfield defence that can get pulled out of its shape way too easily and then end up just all at sea. And that's what happened for the goal here. El Mazzuni on debut, breaking from midfield. It's a great assist from El Mazzuni. He's a player I like. I think he'd be a great addition for for Wellens if he can stay fit and find a a good role for him in this team. But Mansfield are all at bay here. The centre-back steps out and just Offers nothing, uh, and 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 then uh, El Mazzuni with the the presence of mind to slip in Kelman with a sharp finish, and Kelman another summer addition on loan that I think just gives this Orient team a really strong look to it, particularly the forward line with Drynan and Smith and Kelman, and then other attacking players such as Archibald and and Paul Smith and Ruel Sotiriu. Wellens has got a lot to work with, and we we know what his Swindon team looked like, and I'm so hopeful and excited. Uh, for Orient to start looking like this soon. They're not purring whatsoever, but I think this is the sort of team that still has a lot of space to develop, a lot of room for improvement with the squad that Wellens has. And and given that that comes from a foundation of nine points from three, that is, uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting. I'm sitting here right now, Monday, the 15th of August, and I'm really excited about Leighton Orient. In a league, George, where 80 points is normally enough for third place, for an automatic promotion spot. Orient have 11% of that total already after just three games. Lovely, lovely stuff. Uh, we got to go negative, though. Take me to negative town.
1: No, don't, don't want to. Okay. <clears throat> Rochdale, negative. Bad cop. You can I mean. abstain
0: if you want. No, the Dale, sadly. Um, I thought we... they would look quite good in the first half here.
1: <laughs> mm, they looked okay, I think. Like, it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was probably their best showing so far this season. But this is more, we're three games in now. Um, I think we need to, to check on them um, because things are not good. They are rooted to the bottom of the EFL with no points from um, from three games. The thing that really concerns me is when you look at the teams that they've played, um, having lost all three games, I don't think there is there is much in terms of, of what they have um, played against. You know, they lost at home on opening day to Crew. 2-1. Um, yes, we saw Crew uh, hammer Harrogate after that, but since then they've been beaten four-nil in the Carabao and then three-nil by, by Salford uh, in their last two games. Um, Gillingham, who they lost one-nil away at Jills, Jills defeats either side of that with uh, by an aggregate score of five-nil against Tranmere and AFC Wimbledon two-nil and three-nil, and then here against Grimsby, Grimsby's first win back in the EFL, but prior to that they had lost two-nil to to Leyton Orient and a one-nil draw against Northampton. So. Rochester are the team that you want to play if you want to get your first win uh, away of the season. They've only scored one goal so far this uh, in the campaign. Yes, they looked okay, I think, uh, in the first half against Grimsby, uh, probably their best performance so far. Um, but let Town back into it in the second half, and um, and can you know when you concede after ninety-two minutes to a set piece from quite clearly Grimsby's biggest set piece threat and Luke Waterfall, uh, that is at home. Um, you know that that's a a big you know negative mark uh in my opinion um Robbie Stockdale I think looks to me like he might be on on borrowed time now um you know we had a lot of a lot of Rochdale fans um questioning uh us when we had them in 24th saying that you know it was they they couldn't see why we had them there that lower mid-half was was probably as as bad as it was going to get but there's no redeeming features to what we're seeing at Dale so far. And they go to Stevenage in midweek, which is, I think we're seeing a, a very, very difficult game given how well Stevenage has started the season. I wonder how long it might be before um, Rochdale pick up the phone to a certain Scunthorpe manager, Keith Hill, and ask him to, to come back and try and uh, preserve their, or protect their season and prefer- preserve their EFL status. Because right now, it, it looks like things are, are spiralling.
0: Certainly does. I just want to shout out Uh, Grimsby player Anthony Driscoll-Glennon, who keeps catching my eye when I'm watching Grimsby games uh, so far this season for his attacking play. He's a left-back. He got moved to left wing in the second half here, and I think that was a shift that helped Grimsby finish strong. He's provided some really good attacking play. I think he's a former Everton youth player, so perhaps no surprise that he's got some quality. Uh, He's been a big player for them this season. Uh, Two 3-0 home wins. I'll take Salford-Crew. This one, I mean... It's a big home win for Salford. It doesn't look great for Crew and yet we it is definitely our duty to bring up two things uh in order to sort of mitigate against any sort of hysteria. One, Ajay. Big chance early on for crew at nil nil, mm. heading wide. Uh and then a Sambu, straight red card, the the crew attacker for something that just wasn't caught on camera we've just no idea yeah. what he did um and after that it was one-way traffic i'm afraid 17 shots for salford two for crew after that um and and so you know crew just couldn't really handle it after the red card and the interesting thing was tim uh, who's a crew fan on the squad he had messaged us to say before the red salford are playing an extraordinarily high line here which i was excited <laughs> about nice little bit of tactical insight that you get from the squad extraordinarily high line uh twice we've almost beaten it and just been caught out and and Tim rightly pointed out they got Ajay and Sambu up front. Both of them can cause problems running in behind. So there was a there was a, a suggestion at least that had Crew kept it eleven v eleven, had Sambu not been set, uh, given a straight red, they might have had some joy um, playing over the top of that Salford high line. Instead, they were done, and they were done by a player that looks ready, either, oh gosh, to, to take League Two by storm and be its one of its premier players consistently, or as might be more realistic, get a move up the divisions, which has been heavily linked in recent weeks. We know this player, or we used to know him, George, as Brandon Thomas Asante. But I notice now he's just got Asante on his shirt, and that's what Salford Twitter are calling him. So I'm making a change. Brandon Asante, a lovely through-ball assist uh, for the first goal, and then two great goals himself. One of them from range, one of them a proper poacher's goal. You have to be careful um, just deciding that something has changed based on an eye test but to me Asante looks bigger and stronger but certainly just more confident and a player like that who has such quality whether it's carrying the ball whether it's as a direct goal threat he always gets lots of shots off Um, if he can make a leap then Salford have a serious League 2 player on their hands or someone is going to is going to buy him in the next few weeks and we'll probably see him play at League 1 level but he was clearly the star man here for those goals and an assist as well. Uh, Salford going well, uh, you know they were quite lucky not to concede here after giving the ball away and, and a J heading wide, they were quite lucky not to concede against Mansfield as well arguably on opening day but they, they haven't conceded a goal yet and you have to say that appointment of Neil Wood and that change looks to be having the desired effect for Salford. The other 3-0 winners were Tranmere, George, just what was needed after two defeats to start the season in the league. 3-0 winners at home to Jills.
1: Yeah, um, we haven't been fairly negative about them over the last couple of weeks. This was um, a much, much better performance from them and certainly gets the fans back on side, gets rid of any lingering negativity and, and for Mickey Mellon is a, a, you know, a big one for him. Uh, they were good on the day. Um, Still, some pretty big concerns about Gillingham, Um, but I think we've got to give credit here to um, to Tranmere rather than necessarily looking at the opposition. Um, Bristow getting his first senior goal was a nice moment. He looked absolutely delighted about it. Elliot Nevett with the goal and assist as well. Kind of everyone getting in on the action, and um, yeah, for for Tranmere after a very sticky start, uh, they'll hope to use this as a platform, especially having beaten Accrington away in the cup in in midweek as well. Um, But for Gillingham, you know, we said pre-season that it, it. there was an assumption here that things were going to improve at Gillingham off the back of um, the relegation, but with Neil Harris staying. But the the, the squad looks thin, um, the team looks fairly poor, they, they don't carry much attacking threat, and there's a fair bit to be concerned about at the back. And you kind of have wondered out loud previously if there's going to be a time where Neil Harris looks at this and says, you know what, I could do without this maybe. And I wonder if we're kind of almost approaching that. Does Neil Harris want to spend the next the rest of the season taking charge of what looks set to be a, a league 2 relegation scrap i'm
0: not sure mm. there was a game between bradford and newport which before the game i was really interested in george because it was two teams who we think could be quite good but who hadn't started the season very well we're both winless as it was bradford winning 2-0 in front of a, an excitable valley parade richie smallwood the captain just decided to hit. take matters into his own hands, fed up of the poor start to the season, fed up of profligacy in front of goal from the attacking players, just dipping inside and smashing one in from 25 yards with his weaker foot to get them going here. Then they were helped by a red card from Drysdale. Um, if you're going to play out from the back, uh, you're going to need your centre-back to A, be much better with his first touch and B, respond better to mistakes in those sorts of areas he didn't do that trip the attacker um, red card and that was pretty much that we were treated to a, a treat from harry chapman we're hoping to see a lot from him this season at league two level because he's done plenty at league one level before and this is what he can do picking up the ball what 40-45 yards from goal on the left side, riding challenges, tight control inside the box so that no one could get near him to try and tackle him and then finishing as well through the goalkeeper. A good home win for Bradford that they need to, to build on. I'm trying not to get too worried about Newport. I think there's... You know, I can like overall. I'm I'm going to point to the red card. I'm going to say, well, you know, that makes this a tough game to draw conclusions from. But clearly, they're going to need to get a, a win under their belts quite soon um, in order to get their season up and running. Uh, Stockport one, You nil, or Northampton two, Hartlepool one. Why don't you pick one of those for me? Stockport
1: one, you nil. Um, this was welcome to League 2 welcome back to the EFL Stockport because even though they only won the game 1-0 it was a dominant 1-0 display Uh, Colchester created pretty much nothing uh, of any note they had two shots in the whole game both of which were from about 25 yards Uh, Stockport absolutely battered them from start to finish, Um, every single starting out field player had a shot which I always love, Um, they were just very very good and after what was you know, after a big expectation pre-season and then losing their first two games, coming back at home, bit of pressure on against the Colchester side who'd maybe been fairly decent to start the season. This was a massive win for them and, and much deserved as well. So uh, yeah, this is, I think it's understandable that there'll be some um, bit of teething issues maybe with Stockport's return to the league. But if they continue to perform like this, then they're going to make their way back up to the top end of the market straight away because this was as dominant a 1-0 win as you are ever likely
0: to see. Doug, who's a Cole U fan, tweeted us to say that Colchester spent most of the afternoon chasing around after the ball like a blind terrier. <laughs> Surely it, that's got to be a ball with a rattle in, doesn't it? Ball with a Yeah, rattle. it would, yeah. 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 It's going to be a depressing season, said Doug. Um, and now I want to finish on two games. Sutton 1, Barrow 0 and Northampton 2, Hartlepool 0. It was a real, conf- like, sort of... I felt like I was in a bit of a fever dream watching both of these games, George, because they both had key incidents that completely mirrored another incident for the other team. So can you explain to me what happened in Sutton against Barrow? Because this one, the goal for Sutton and the disallowed goal for Barrow, just absolutely bizarre. Please make some sense of it.
1: One of the weirdest games of football of all time, uh, purely, because of, purely because of two I- incidents. Uh, Jack Rose, the Sutton keeper, after uh, 79, 79 minutes, launches the ball forward huge kick up the field where it carries over the bar defence's heads poor farmer is waiting to collect the ball completely misjudges it bounces over his head him and uh, Fatahunzi, um kind of go shoulder to shoulder Farman goes down and i'm pretty sure the ball is rolling in um but given what happened 10 minutes later Fatahunzi takes the decision to Tap the ball into the back of the empty net, depriving Rose of a goal. I hadn't even I thought about might... the
0: fact that you're kind of bringing up the fact we could have had two goalie goals. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was going in. Wow. But
1: I don't, I assume, given where Rose kicks it from, I assume it may have been a free kick. I have no idea. So, like, you know, it's important when we do this podcast to not try and pretend that we know everything because we can't be across every game. And in this case, what happened in the 96th minute? I have no idea why Barrow were given a free kick when they were. It seems significant because just, you know, in the 96th minute, Sutton still 1-0 up. Uh, Rooney gets on the ball, tries to, doesn't shoot John Rooney. He tries to loft the ball into a dangerous area. And unbelievably, exactly the same thing happens where the ball bounces over Rose. And this time it goes straight into the empty net sparking wild celebrations from barrow they've scored an equalizer in the 96th minute from their own half everyone's going crazy the referee um goes over to the lino and a couple of minutes later the the goal is disallowed because it was an indirect free kick now i don't know what the infringement was so i i don't know if that is correct or not it seems like quite a niche thing to be given an indirect free kick inside your own half i don't understand what it would have been for necessarily i'm not an expert when it comes to the rules, it makes me wonder that had Fadahunzi not tapped the ball in, was Roses also an indirect free kick? I, I don't know either that. But it, just one of the weirdest games of football, purely in terms of 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 goal mouth.
0: Are you missing a crucial it. part of this, which is the keeper touched it? But did it I mean the that Sutton was the, thing. the Sutton keeper did he touch touched it? the ball?
1: Do you think so? I think so. He I did. I've watched it back a few times and I wasn't sure. I watched I it was watched, inconclusive. That was a, certainly Pete, Pete um claim.
0: I watched it back a few times and I was more sure than you, albeit I won't say 100% sure. I'd say like 75, 80% sure that Rose touches Rooney's free kick and therefore cancels out the indirect nature of it. And I think it yes. should have been a goal.
1: Although... This
0: is yeah. weird. Go on. Whose goal would it be? Presuming it's on target. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because can you... Would that mean that
1: Rooney scores? Yeah. Rooney's given the goal from an indirect free kick?
0: Yeah, I'd say so. I would love to know how many times that's happened. Probably not very many. So we're a bit bamboozled about that, but well done to, to Sutton picking up the three points. And then Northampton Hartlepool, I'm still reeling from watching the Sutton Barrow game. I stick this on, and I feel like I'm in this weird fever dream again because... The first goal for both teams, Cobblers win this 2-1, I should say. The first goal was so similar. Both times, the goalkeepers, Burge and Killip, made incredible saves. But both times, the ball ends up popping up into the air and gets thumped over the goal line from a header. First from Maguire uh, and then the Hartlepool player. Uh, I've forgotten exactly who that was. It was uh, Josh Umera with his first goal of the season. And then more unbelievable saves happened in this game. Unfortunately for Hartlepool, one of them was from their centre-back, Lacey, who produced an incredible stop with his left hand to deny a pair um, It would have been a penalty and a red card. Of course it would. It was incredibly obvious. But thankfully, it didn't get to that because it went straight back to a pair who just stuck it in for 2-1. Uh, and then not long after that, to be honest, Hartlepool had a big chance and Burge made a brilliant point-blank stop to grab the points for Northampton. So uh, another kind of lively affair. Lots to think about. Lots going on. The upshot is Cobblers cobble on. Uh, They've had home games so far against Hartlepool and Colu. They've won them 2-1 and 3-2. They've definitely deserved the wins, both of them on balance of play. And yet they're also making slightly heavy weather of it. And I think part of my reasoning for having cobblers so high in the 1-24s was I just I felt that they were pretty trustworthy, in particular uh, in terms of, of seeing games out and restricting opposition chances. Um, so I haven't been thrilled with some of the stuff I've seen um, from Colchester and Hartlepool, while also accepting that they've just been flashes. And, and overall, they've been pretty good uh, defensively. So cobblers uh, march on. They're on seven points from three games. Good start to the season for them. Hartleypool wondering how they've not equalised there at the end. We had four draws as well in League Two. Um, mixed stuff here. We had a Stevenage 100th minute equaliser, or maybe 99th minute from Rose. Minute from Rose. Doncaster back from two down to draw up at, at Plough Lane, at Wimbledon sick of the sight of Donny who keep doing this sort of thing to them. Carlisle one, Swindon one was an entertaining game with plenty of chances squandered, two particularly big ones for Carlisle. Uh, and Harrogate nil, Crawley nil was a game that happened. In Yorkshire. Thank you, George. Uh, What fun to talk through a really entertaining EFL weekend with tons of talking points. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Please share this podcast if you have. We're always on the lookout to find new EFL fans or just general football fans who you think might grow to love the EFL if only they sunk some time into it. A huge thank you to Betfair for their support of this podcast and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday with a betting show. Got a first round of midweek fixtures as well this week. Lots going on and this is the place to be for everything efl subscribe to not the top 20 podcast and go well